We uh, turn this morning to Isaiah chapter 40, the voice we need to hear, Isaiah chapter 40, we read verses 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God, speak kindly to Jerusalem, and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing youths. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the voice that calls out, the voice of you, Lord Jesus, your word, as you call us to trust you and to follow you and to serve you. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear today that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to your word, that we might receive, Lord Jesus, what you want to give to us today. And so I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, I pray, Lord, that they would be pleasing in your sight today. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was in high school, there were two radio stations in Duluth, that were seeking to get us teenagers to listen. Uh, one of them was WAKX, and the other one was WEBC. WAKX was easy to remember because they called it WAX. And so, what station do you listen to? Oh, I listen to WAX, right? I'm a WAX fan. The other one, WEBC, that didn't really have a ring to it. What do you say, Webka or WBC or something? But WBC was quite uh, creative in terms of uh, attracting uh, attention to their station. Uh, they used to say that WEBC blew the wax out of my ears. I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty creative. So, if you have trouble with Earwax, uh, maybe your first step should be to listen to WEBC. If you turn it up loud enough, right, it just might blow some wax out of your ears. 
You might know, what do you, what, why would you bring that up? Well, there are many reasons why people have trouble hearing, and certainly uh, earwax can be one of them. But there's a more serious problem, and that is when people don't hear or won't hear what they really need to hear, the voice of God. And so there are people that are listening to all kinds of voices today, right? There's all kinds of voices that are bombarding us with information. We live in an information age, don't we? I mean, everywhere you turn, there's someone trying to give us a message. And a lot of people are listening to those false messages that are being proclaimed to us daily. And the message we really need to hear is the message that we find in God's Word. In chapter 40 of Isaiah, that comes through so clearly. God is calling out to us uh, through His Word, and we really need to listen. So there are several ways in which God's voice uh, calls out in our text. And the first one is this. It is the voice of comfort. Our text begins in this way. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, you know that there's a change here that takes place in chapter 40. The first 39 chapters are really uh, Isaiah confronting the people challenging them with uh, their need to turn back to the Lord. And if they don't, he, he made it clear that judgment will come. And we know they refused to listen. They were taken captive to Babylon. And if I was the Lord, you know what I would have said? You can be glad I'm not the Lord. Because I would have said, I told you so. <laughs> right? Ever done that to your kids? You tell them, don't do this, don't do that. They do it, they get in, uh, in, in, they experience the consequences. I told you so. That's what I would have done. Aren't you glad God is different? Aren't you glad that even though they had rebelled against Him, He comes to them with a message of comfort? That's gospel, isn't it? I would have given law, but God comes with gospel. Comfort my people, he says. And God's people are to be comforted because His discipline has now been completed. Notice verse 2. Her warfare has ended. Her iniquity has been removed. She has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So that last phrase, for a long time I wondered, what, what does that mean? Uh, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It almost appears as if, if the punishment didn't fit the crime, right? Double for all her sins. Uh, J.A. Matthias says the word double means to fold over or to fold in half. And when something is folded over, each half corresponds exactly with the other half. And this would yield the thought, he says, of exact correspondence between sin and payment. Okay, So if you take a piece of paper and you fold it in half, those two halves 
correspond equally, right? And that's kind of what the idea might be there, that God's discipline was commensurate with the crime, but it was over. It had come to an end. Comfort my people. <laughs> they've, 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 they've suffered now. They've, they've, been, they've been disciplined. J.L. Cool, got a cool name, huh? Uh, he, he's, he sees it in a different way. He says that this phrase forms a positive climax of God's comfort by announcing that the people will receive a double portion of God's grace. And that would fit with what Paul says in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, can you finish the sentence? Grace abounded more. (laughs) More. So God is seeking to pour out His grace upon these people. And it is amazing to think of because what kind of people had they been? Over and over and over, the prophets came with their message. And over and over, what did they do? They despised it. And now they were suffering the consequences. And I would have said, you deserve it. God says, they're my people. I still care for them. I still, I still love them. Isn't that amazing? Quite a change with this 40th chapter. After all these chapters of confronting them with law... Here's some wonderful, wonderful gospel. And notice he says that they are to be comforted because their iniquity has been removed. The word removed, I discovered, can, can be translated to pay off or to pay for. And it implies that in order for sin to be removed, a price must be paid, right? That's biblical theology, right? God cannot just overlook our sin and say, it doesn't matter. Why? Because He's a holy God. Sin must be paid for. So their iniquity was removed. It had been paid for. How was it paid for? Well, you go a little further in Isaiah, and what do we discover? Isaiah 53. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on Him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the only way that iniquity can be removed is if it's paid for. And the good news is that Jesus paid for it, right? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but what? He washed it white as snow. We don't have any snow yet, but when that snow comes, you'll remember Isaiah 118, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Is it going to come by Christmas? I hope not. I heard some. I hope so. Anybody? You can't sing that song, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, if you don't have snow, right? Well, you can dream about it, but Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without snow. So get over it if you don't like it. There is a statue of a lamb 
that's in the yard of a country church. And there's a story behind that because there were some guys that were working on the roof of that church and one guy fell off and there were sheep grazing in that churchyard and he literally landed on one of those lambs. The lamb died, but this man's life was spared. And so they set up a a little statue of a lamb and that story was told which illustrates, right, what Jesus did. That's comfort. To know that our sins can be forgiven. Our iniquity has been removed. The price has been paid and God has poured out His grace (laughs) where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Have you heard the voice of comfort? Here it is. Comfort my, my people. The second voice we could call the voice of compassion. I don't know if we can fully understand how, how difficult would it be to be taken captive from your land and brought to another land. That, that almost seems foreign to us, like that could never happen. Well, it did to these people. And the sad thing about it, they had no one to blame but themselves, right? No one to blame but themselves. They had strayed far from God in their hearts and they were taken far from the land that God had given them. So here they are in Babylon, but notice God's compassion for His people. Although they had strayed from Him, He says, prepare the way, I'm coming to you. Even though you're the one that has gone far, I am coming to you. Look at verse 3. A voice is calling. What is the voice saying? Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Making the highway smooth. Prepare the way for the Lord. That's what was done when some king was to visit a a city, either uh, visiting or on business. The road was made ready so that king could come unobstructed to the city. The DOT had some work to do, right? You know what that stands for? The Department of Transportation for you Norwegians. The Department of Transportation. There were potholes to fill, roads to repair. And this analogy then pictures what needed to take place in the hearts of those people. There were barriers, there were roadblocks between them and the Lord that needed to be removed. And the only way that that could be done is by repentance, right? Sin needed to be taken out of the way. And that's the message that the prophets repeatedly proclaimed to the people of Judah and Israel. Isaiah, just a few chapters before this, listen to this, Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But then the next phrase says, but you were not willing. You are not willing. 
In their stubbornness, they wouldn't turn from their sin. And yet, you read on in that chapter, chapter 30, and God still cared for them. Just a few verses later, Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and He waits on high to have compassion on you. To people who said, we will not repent. God says, I long to be gracious to you. I long to show compassion to you, even though you have rebelled against me. That is good news, isn't it? How often have we rebelled against God's Word in various ways, and yet God longs to be gracious, to show compassion to us. If you're familiar with the ministry of John the Baptist, you know that this prophecy also applied to his ministry. John prepared the way for the coming of Jesus when the people of Israel and Judah were were again far from God. And guess what message he proclaimed? It was the same message, a message of repentance. Over and over he told the people to repent. I started reading through Matthew a couple days ago, and I was reading through Matthew 3 yesterday morning for my devotions. You read through that chapter, and I'll tell you what, John the Baptist was fearless. He hit them right between the eyes. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't say that, you know, we are sons of Abraham. God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. And his winnowing fork is ready and he's going to throw you into the fire. I mean, he, he challenged them. He preached repentance to them. And this message, the need for this message hasn't changed with time. We also need to repent because we are really no different. We've rebelled against God, but no matter who we are, no matter how far we've wandered from Him, God longs to forgive us. God longs to pour out His compassion and His grace and His mercy upon us if we repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus. One of Adolf Hitler's bodyguards was a man by the name of Kurt Wagner. He adored Hitler. He reverenced Hitler as a god. And at the end of the war, after Hitler committed suicide, Wagner's faith in Hitler was shattered, and he he planned on taking his own life. So he went for a final cup of coffee. He must have been a coffee drinker. He picked up a discarded gospel tract and read it. At first, very carelessly, and then with great interest. And as a result of reading that gospel tract, he sought out the counsel of a godly pastor who shared the gospel with this man. And guess what? God poured out His compassion on Hitler's bodyguard. Now, Some would people say, that guy was the scum of the earth. But God is gracious to the scum of the earth. God is gracious to those who recognize their sin and repent of it and put their trust in Jesus. And He pours out on them compassion and mercy and forgiveness. Do you need to be forgiven? 
Do you need to hear the voice of compassion? I do. Every day I do. Because we sin in thought, word, and deed. And we need to live in daily repentance, right? Daily confession of our sin to God. And receiving that promise. That there is forgiveness with God. The third voice... I would call the voice of hope. Verse 6, a voice says, call out. And he answered, what do I call out? And listen, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, But the word of our God stands forever. Now, if you think about that message that Isaiah heard, probably wasn't the most pleasant message that was ever given. Who wants to be told that all flesh is like grass and it withers and dies? That doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Just like, wait, pastor, what do you mean? This is a, a word of hope. But if we're going to experience the hope that only God can give, we must first face the fact of what we are. And what is our destiny apart from God? We are like grass and flowers that wither and fade. And the older you get, you young people around here that are Got that nice smooth skin and beautiful hair and body that's just in tone. Let me tell you from experience, the older you get, the more you see that you're withering and fading. Right? Wrinkling up. Look in the mirror and it's like, whoa, is that really me? I need a new mirror, huh? I can't really look look like that. I got a Facebook friend request from a high school classmate. Well, I've gotten several of them. I didn't recognize this person until I did a little thinking and searching and I said to myself, you look old. Wow, you have really aged. I'm assuming the person that saw my picture on my Facebook probably said the same thing. You look old. You look like you've really aged. huh? That, that's the reality. That we, we need to face that, right? We need to recognize that. We're, we're like grass that is withering and fading. But in spite of that fact, there is reason for hope. And it's found at the end of verse 8 because even though we wither and fade, God's Word does not wither and fade, does it? God's Word stands forever. Never changes. In other words, our bodies are mortal, but God's Word is eternal. And when we accept the promise of salvation in God's Word, then we face this withering and fading with hope of a new body someday that won't wither and fade, that won't look like it's starting to look like for at least a few of us. 
the eternal Word gives eternal life to those who believe it. That's what gives us hope. I remember several years ago, I walked into the hospital, intensive care. There was a guy laying there from our church. He had an oxygen mask on his face. And I walked up to him and I said hi to him. And the first thing he said to me, guess what? Through that oxygen mask, he says, I'm not ready to die. I said, you know what? I've got good news for you. I was able to share the gospel with him and through that oxygen mask, he invited Jesus to be his Savior and confessed his sin. Three days later, he died. And I told him, I told him, I said, you need to tell your wife what Jesus has done for you. So three days later when he died, I came to the house, visited with his wife and son. And I asked her, I said, did your husband say anything to you? She says, he sure did. I said, what did he say? He said, I know Jesus as my Savior and you need to know him too. So I asked her. I said, do you know Jesus as your Savior? She said, no, I don't think I do. I said, then you need to know him too. And she came to Jesus that day. I'll never forget his funeral because he had some sisters, some uh, rejoicing Pentecostal sisters that had been praying for him for a long time. And I shared that story at the funeral and I thought they were going to get up and do cartwheels down the aisle of the funeral home. I mean, they, they were so excited. And after the service, they came and gave me a big Pentecostal hug, you know, and they were so grateful. He said, I'm not ready to die. But there's good news for those who aren't ready to die, right? That's Jesus. That's our hope. And as we stand on the promises of His Word, right? That's where our assurance is. It's not in our feelings. It's in the promise of God's Word. So we're like grass, like flowers that wither and fade, but the Word of God stands forever. And that's why we need to stand on the promise of God's Word, right? Have you heard the voice of hope? Hope in Jesus. The fourth voice, the final voice, is the voice of power. If there was ever a group of people who, <laughs> who had to face their weakness, I mean, it was the people of Judah. They were humiliated. And they were taken captive to Babylon, and they were powerless to change it. If you read Psalm 137, uh, they were taunting the people of Israel, saying, Sing one of the songs of Zion. Why don't you sing one of those for us? They said, How can we sing? One of the songs that they were, they were humiliated. And they were powerless to change it. Was God powerless to change that? He could change it. Look at verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, don't fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Who is this God? Verse 10, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with His arm ruling for Him. So there's no question 
that God had the power to help His people. But just in case they doubted that, the psalmist spends the rest of the... Or the psalmist. Isaiah spends the rest of the chapter talking about the power of God. Read it when you get home. Here's some examples. Verse 17, All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are regarded by Him as less than nothing and meaningless. <laughs> Think about that for a while. That'll blow your mind. Verse 22, It is He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. God says, I look at the earth and you people, you're just like grasshoppers. <laughs> Never thought of yourself as a grasshopper? Huh? Verse 25, To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Imagine that. How many stars are there? God has a name for every star. That blows my mind. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. So who is this God who makes this promise? The God who rules the nations of the earth, the God who created everything that exists. So people of Israel, if you are doubting whether God can deliver you, you need to remember who He is. Because then in that chapter, He asks the question, Why do you say, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? Why would you even think that? That God is unaware of your circumstances and unwilling or unable to help you. Why would you ever think that? That's a good question that we would, should ask, right? Why would we ever think that God is not able to deliver us? He is. And He spends then the rest of the chapter. And it's interesting to notice how He describes the way that God will deliver us. We might expect Him to say that He'll come like a warrior, come like a king. Look at verse 11. What's the picture? Like a shepherd. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock. In His arms, He will gather the lambs and carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead the nursing youth. Now that should ring a bell, like a shepherd. Who's the shepherd? <laughs> Jesus, right? I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. That's how he delivers us, right? That's where his power was displayed in the greatest way when he went to the cross. And at the cross... What did he do? He defeated sin. He de defeated Satan. He conquered death because he rose again from the dead. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see Jesus everywhere in Scripture, don't you? Because it all points to him. 
And here's a wonderful passage in Isaiah's prophecy that describes the, the coming of Jesus, the way prepared by John the Baptist, and the victory that is won for us at the cross. So what do we do with good news like this, huh? Well, first thing you need to do, you need to embrace that good news, right? Personally, trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. I trust you have experienced God's mercy and compassion and and power and grace in your life that you can say, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that He's able to guard what I've committed to Him until that day, huh? And once you embrace the good news, then what? You proclaim it, right? That's what we see here. And we proclaim it not timidly, but with great boldness. Verse 9, get up on a mountain, on a high mountain. Why? So everyone can see and hear. O bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here's your God. Here He is. That's what John the Baptist did, didn't he? He had those disciples following him, and when Jesus came on the scene, what did he say? Here's your God. (laughs) Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That should really be our posture, right? Look at Jesus. Look to Him. He is your God. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. What better time to point people to Jesus than Christmas? We had a a couple of walks with some of our grandchildren this past week. In the evening when the lights were out and we walked through the neighborhood. Guess what we saw? Rudolph, well, the reindeers. We saw Christmas trees. We saw snowmen. We saw Santa Claus on a motorcycle. If you can believe that. It was an air thing, you know, and there he is. Guess what was missing? Could you guess? I didn't see any reference to Jesus. Candy canes. And I thought to myself, what are you celebrating? What's missing here? Someone is missing. And that's Jesus. And people who are gathering to celebrate Christmas are missing. Many are missing. Jesus. Is Jesus missing in your life? Is your life filled with everything else but Him? That's our culture today. Everything else but Jesus. Missing out on the one thing, the one person, the one hope that they really, really 
need. I invite you to come to Jesus today. Listen to what He says to you. Listen to this word, this chapter of His uh, compassion and mercy and, and His desire to, to forgive you. Do you hear? Are you listening? It was some months back we did that series on Revelation and chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. I don't know if you, you probably don't remember. I hardly remember. But there was, the, the message I gave was, got your ears on. So there was a young boy in our congregation, a little boy who had his Bible and he stood with his Bible and like he was giving the message and he said, got your ears on? And he said, yep, we do. Then he closed his Bible and there it was. So let me ask you, got your ears on today? Do you hear the voice of God through his word calling you? I hope you can say, yep, we do. Yes, we hear. Blow the wax out of your ears. Receive what God wants to give to you today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the voice of comfort, the voice of compassion, the voice of hope, the voice of power. Thank you for the good news of the gospel of salvation for people who have rebelled against you, O God. You long to show your grace and your mercy. And Father, would you draw us to yourself today? Uh, help us to deal with our sin, repenting and, and, and trusting in you, Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness that you so freely give. And Lord, if there's someone here today, someone listening to my voice that does not know you, Lord, who is, has everything else about Christmas, like food and family and all that, but are missing Jesus, Lord, I pray that there would be that desire to know you, to come to you, to receive that special, wonderful gift of everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.